In this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast, I am joined by longtime friend and fellow church kid, Bella Flores, who shares her experiences dealing with the repercussions of growing up in a legalistic youth and college ministry, including her battle with doubts, mental health, and her perception of God and herself. The conversation in this episode is inspired by the topics and themes of my book, A Jumble of Crumpled Papers. If you enjoyed today's conversation and haven't read the book, the link to pick it up is in the description below. If you're a first time listener, I would highly recommend you go back and listen to our intro episode, episode zero, to get brought up to speed on what this podcast is all about. But without further ado, enjoy the episode. Hello, everybody, and welcome back to the Crumpled Papers podcast. My name is Austin Knoll, and on today's episode, I'm joined by a very special guest. I know I say this every episode, but this time, very special guest because it's in person, the first recorded podcast episode in person. And joining me today is my good friend, Bella Flores. Hello. Hello, Bella. What's up? I see you like three feet from me. In front of me. This is really different. Yeah. How are you doing? Doing great. You're doing great? I am. We're going to talk about a lot of stuff today. Oh, yeah. I'm going to spill my guts. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And I mean, let's do some context here. So okay. we, I, okay, I don't want to say grew up together because we did, but we didn't. Yeah. Earlier. Like, mm-hmm. we, okay, we were part of the same church organization and ministry when we were really young. And we, our families knew each other. We kind of knew each other just because we were young. Yeah. Kind of grew up around the same circles you're a few years younger than I am and then you and your family moved to Texas Mm -hmm. when you were how old uh eight when you were eight Mm -hmm. and I was still in LA Mm -hmm. and then I moved to Texas when I was 22 and then I released a little book that this podcast maybe foreign to no one on this podcast will know what that book is Mm -mm. but you reached out after you read the book Mm -hmm. and you liked the book loved it and it helped you and it resonated Big time. And we talked and we met up and it's like, now we're friends. True. And now you're on the podcast because you shared your story with me and I knew that it would resonate with a lot of people on this podcast. So this episode is going to be basically just the time for you to share your experiences with church and with faith Mm -hmm. and I'll ask some directing questions along the way, but this is your time just to share your story. So let's start off with just a basic question. The question I ask every guest on this show to start, why don't you give us a general overview of yourself and your background, particularly in regards to your church and faith journey? So let's see, who am I? I'm a who sophomore in college right now. I go to Texas State okay. and I'm a part of a campus ministry there. I've been a Christian my entire life. I was born into it. So my parents are both preachers. So I was lucky in that sense. I kind of, um, I now I now call it the cosmic lottery. Cosmic lottery, which yep. I did not come up with that by myself. I read it in a book called Faith Unraveled mm-hmm. by Rachel Held That's Evans. A good book. It's yep. very good. Yes. So in that sense, I definitely won the cosmic lottery. I have loving parents that have been married, and I've got two older sisters. And yeah, I was born into the church. I grew up in it. Um, did a lot of missionary work, born in Kiev, Ukraine, then moved to Philadelphia, Florida, California, and wow. then Texas, yeah. and then lived in Russia in the summers um, until like middle school-ish, and then, yeah, traveled all over and was doing like mission work when I was in diapers, basically. Wow. The world's youngest missionary. 
Yep, exactly. And then I was um, baptized at 13. As church kids do. Of course. Of course, as preacher's kids do. Mm -hmm. yeah. Yep. And now here I am. Here you are. Here I am. So let's just go right into talking about your experiences growing up in the church, which you've touched on a little bit. You were born in the church, preacher's kid, um, which already comes with its own set of yeah. uh, impressions and stereotypes and cliches and mentalities, Definitely. whatever. People listening who resonate with that, you already know the deal. Mm -hmm. But like to start off this whole thing, well, let's. I'm going to ask you this. What, thinking about your entire church journey and experiences in faith, what are some of the positive aspects of those church experiences? Mm -hmm. And what are some of the negative slash harmful effects? Let's go positive first. What are okay. some of the positive things that you've experienced? Well, positive is just that I have this insanely large community that is worldwide. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's a international strand of churches so i have friends in africa right now and russia and the country of georgia and the, the of georgia. state of yeah. georgia Both. i've got yeah worldwide friends which is incredible and then i i've grown up in the same kind of circle of friends just in like church camps from elementary and middle and high school and stuff that um i mean i'm in college with some of them now so it's really cool that i can say i've known them for like a decade i just have a giant family i've got like a million sets of parents and a million sets of siblings i have so many people i can go to and a lot of people are so genuine in their faith too like they are all people i could turn to if i had any questions or doubts or struggles even unrelated to faith they would 100 percent support me so in that sense i think the most positive aspect of church has been the community and how much they've been there for me that's a huge one it's it's the one that usually means the most to people. Yeah. And also the thing that can make it hardest when things aren't always going the best. Because mm -hmm. it's it's valuable. Yeah. And it's, I mean, it's your whole life at that right. point. So right. if that goes wrong, mm -hmm. that's your whole identity. Yeah. And being a church kid, being a, a, preacher's, kid, a preacher's kid, mm -hmm. those circles of friendships, and I, I've mentioned this before, I think, the social life at church, especially growing up as a kid, there's an emphasis on friendships you make in church mm -hmm. because those are the ones that are emphasized as being more valuable and yeah those are the ones that will last and more honest and that will last and mm -hmm. that's that is true i think a, a percentage of the time yeah definitely and in certain aspects um it can be a little iffy when it comes so binary right when it's like oh, yeah. oh these are the ones that matter definitely these made ones it hard. don't right oh yeah I, I definitely heard that in middle school yeah i was told by my parents like those will not be your bridesmaids and i was like oh <laughs> right. i'm in middle school <laughs> yeah. cool Thank you for that that forward thinking mm -hmm. there. Any more positives, or you want to go to the negatives? Oh, we're so quick to the negatives. <laughs> Anything else? I don't know. I mean, I mean, positives. Yeah. I mean, the biggest positive, which just feels so like, duh, it's yeah. just like they brought me to God and they yeah. showed me who God can be. That's huge. It can be negative sometimes who God can be, but yeah. mainly they showed me who God is and how He's loving. Yeah. That is a really big one. I'm glad you mentioned because even in places that aren't healthy or aren't the best or whatever, for so many people, especially I mean, in church contexts, the place that ends up having some things that they're realizing may not be the best, it's where they found God mm -hmm. authentically. Yeah. And that makes it such, once again, more complicated because you believe it's the place where you found God and where God was. Mm -hmm. 
I don't think it's a lie. No. That's really interesting. So, so what are, and this will be, I think, a longer segment here, Yeah. Um, which is why you're on the podcast. <laughs> but what are, from your experiences, some of the negative slash harmful effects or aspects of your church experience? So there are a lot. <laughs> well, okay, so, you know, at first I'll say that with all of these negative experiences that I've had for almost every single one, by the grace of God, I have been able to go back and talk to all those people and they have all apologized. I don't, That's great. I don't think there's one thing that I could say yeah. where the person, quote unquote, at fault has not humbled themselves and apologized and people don't always get that so that's no, really yeah. nice yes very good but yeah there's okay so there's a lot of negatives and sometimes it's hard to draw the line between what's negative that i've experienced in the church and what is completely unrelated and yeah. it's just like my life that's i've experienced but sure. because the church is such a big part of my identity especially during those times that it it's sometimes that line is blurred of whether or not it's from the church or if it's from external yeah sources so, I mean, I had a great childhood, actually. Childhood was magical. I yeah. mean, I was I was traveling the world. I was homeschooled. I was dancing all the time. So, like, pictures of, yeah, pictures <laughs> of, like, little, like, little kids happy dancing in the rain and yeah. then going on worldwide trips with their family. Like, that was me. Yeah. So, I had a great childhood until I hit, like, 11. Yeah. <laughs> then 11 is when I kind of, I started to grow up really fast. Because from the ages like 11 to 13, I had an immediate family member who had really severe depression. And so I kind of had to take care of them in some sense, which really made me grow. Because I mean, if you're an 11-year-old and you're having that responsibility of somebody else's life kind of on your shoulders, it's a lot. It's a lot. And so they had two suicide attempts, which Mm. kind of awakened to my consciousness as a child I think is when you kind of understand death especially intentional death so yeah 11 to 13 dealt with a lot of that and kind of learned what the darker aspects of mental health experiences are at a young age um then 14 to 16 I experienced a lot of sexual harassment and assault by a boy that I knew that was slightly older but and was this uh, in church context or out of church context? In church context, okay. yes. He was in my ministry. Which adds a whole bunch of other complications. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, big time, big time. Very intertwined families there. Um, yeah, so I experienced that from 14 till 16. But within those years, I mean, I was baptized at 13. So, like, right in between the whole depression dealing with stuff and then the assault was a baptism. Yeah. Which was always good. I mean, obviously, I... Sure. I tried to almost save myself in that sense. I mean, some of the reasons I got baptized at that age were not for the best reasons. It was mainly out of fear because my oldest sister left the church in her college years. And so, and she's nine years older than me. So I saw her left and I was like, I don't want to turn out like that. Like, I don't want to. I need to solidify myself in this. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And I'm glad I did because I don't know where I would be if I didn't at that time. But it, it does change things when... You are baptized and you kind of had this idea of I'm giving my life to God, like now he'll protect me. Right. And then almost all of the trauma you experience happens after that. Right. Which that makes things really complicated. But yeah, 14 to 16 was lots of sexual assault and harassment in the church. Can I ask how that was responded to Mm -hmm. by, was it, okay, two questions here. 
was it secretive and no one ever figured it out until later? Or if it was, did become a known thing, how was it responded to? It was fully secretive. Okay. I, did, I did not tell anyone until I was about 17. Okay. Yeah. So it was about three years after it started was the yeah. first time I told somebody. And I told my teen leader, actually, she had just moved in. And how was it responded to then? Uh, they talked to him. He actually started studying the Bible and realized that he had to confess his sins and, you know, build some bridges that he had burnt. And yeah, we had like a three hour long conversation in my parents' backyard. He apologized to me and to my parents. Yeah. And yeah, I mean, now he's a disciple hmm. and seems to be doing great and seems to have changed. But yeah, if I would have brought it up, I'm sure something would have happened. Sure. But yeah, I just did it. That's interesting. Yeah. Continue. Let's see. So then, so that's 14 to 16. Around 15 is when I started struggling with mental health stuff. I dealt with anorexia for a while and I started self harming then, and COVID hit. Around that time, at which 15, doesn't help at all. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Pulled me out of my whole anorexia stage, though. Sure. I was stuck at home with my parents, so right. I did have to eat. So, I mean, mm. you know little little blessing in that curse of the pandemic yeah but yeah i started dealing with a lot of those things and um a friend committed suicide actually mutual friend we both mutual know friend yeah um that was when i was 15 also just about 16 and that was right before that was maybe a year before covid mm-hmm. a year and a half yeah it was a little but bit before same, all that stuff same general yeah. area of time mm-hmm. so that was huge and yeah and then 17 I don't even remember what happened at 17. It was all a blur. I don't know what it's, happened. Honestly, it, it, it's yeah. all a blur. COVID times went through. I still, I had really severe depression and anxiety and ADHD. All the things. Yeah. All the things. All the things. All the you things. You might mention and bring up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and then it hit more at 18 as well, where I dealt with lots of other mental health stuff. Yeah. Which, again, some is... I would never say that like it was because of the church that I went through a lot of things, but it definitely didn't help. In in what ways? I think in just like a see, okay, so I think back to your episode with Lisey. Okay. Which yep. was actually Shout out to Lisey. Shout out. Love her. Um, that was the first episode of yours that I listened to. Okay. Um, which was recommended to me by the mother of a friend. Which probably resonated a lot. Big time. Okay. A lot it of similarities. Was huge. Cause I bought your book like right when it came out and then I just didn't read Appreciate it. That. Thank you. <laughs> I didn't read it yet. Oh, never mind. <laughs> okay. I was busy. It was freshman year of college. I, that statement. I had a lot of, I had a, lots of things going on freshman year. Understand. But then I listened to episode eight. I think it was episode seven, or seven eight. or eight, Almost. somewhere in there. Yeah. yeah. Um, before double digits, it was yeah. fairly early on. Yeah. I got there pretty early. You get your badge, founder's badge. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> And so I listened to that episode and I was like, oh my God, like that, that's me. And I had yeah. my friend listen to it who is not a part of the church, but is my best friend and kind of grew up alongside me. And so she saw all of these problems in the church and she was like, this is what I've been trying to tell you mm. about for years. Like, this is why it's not okay. And like, yeah. and it was just lots of shame, which just completely alters your perception of yourself. I've been learning about that. Shame is, I want to do more episodes of the podcast about shame because shame is the foundation of 
inside or outside of church. Mm-hmm. Foundation of so many debilitating uh, mindsets, ideologies, practices, cycles that we that we take part in. Yeah. So much of it is it comes from shame. So much of the things that we experience have to deal with is because of our shame. Mm-hmm. And when that isn't not giving someone shame is not enough. It has to be directly spoken against. Yeah. To tell people that. But anyway, I just want to talk about say mention that shame. It's a huge thing. Yeah. And it was it was a huge thing for me because I I experienced a lot of it in the teen ministry actually. And you know, less of it was from leaders. It really yeah, it sure. wasn't from that. It was mainly from the students in the teen mm. ministry who were kind of taught how to think, you know? Yeah. And so they they were taught to think things about me. And so I was very much a cautionary tale, you could yeah. say. And that pattern is kind of um resurfaced in college now. But now you say taught to think things about you. Can you expand on that? Yeah. So I had a friend group in the teen ministry, which was mainly guys and okay. then like one or two girls. I already know the direction. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And um, so it was actually most of these I- ideas about me or images about me were started by that boy that had assaulted me. Hmm. So I just kind of had this sort of rumor and less so a rumor of like the uh, one sentence that was kind of telephoned through the ministry and more so of like it's it's bella like so you know one would 100 percent call me a whore at that time (laughs) and this i'm assuming was a result of you being around a lot of guys a lot right yeah man that is and I'm, i'm already going back to shame right already so so okay, several things. So so shameful mm-hmm. to anybody. So incredibly harmful to someone your age, and such a weighty perception and 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 term, right? And I like like idea of you for something so way off from what that actually entails yeah. like a whore de- dictionary definition right is a prostitute someone who sleeps with a bunch of people all the time and sells their body that is that's crazy mm-hmm. for that perception given to somebody first off a church kid in church by the people around them in their church for just hanging around guys too much maybe being a little looser with with which we'll get into which you've talked about of mm-hmm just different rigid standards that the church has that when a kid doesn't follow them to a T, they're not in any kind of wrong or sin or anything. No. They're so far from that. But yet at the same time, it's looser than the church wants. And so all of a sudden, you're being called a whore for being around guys too much. and like, That's crazy to me. Mm-hmm. Now, is that valid at all? No. Yeah. Which I knew at the time as well. Right. But I knew that really deep down. And, and you're not you're not the first, not even close to the first person, unfortunately, who's told me a story like this when they're growing up, guys and girls, but especially girls, where it's just the common thing where you, someone will pass by you at church and the talk will be, oh, there's Bella, you know what they say, blah, 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 dot, dot, dot. Like, it's just a known thing now, this label you have, where... 
for the majority of people who who hear that of you, they don't even know what the actual reasons were. Yeah. Why you were labeled that way. So if someone isn't told why you have that label, if they hear people calling you a whore, they're going to think that you've done some of the craziest stuff mm-hmm. when in reality it's so that's why labels are so are so dangerous because yeah. if you're not told why which so many people i'm sure around you your peers weren't that label is so weighty it gives us such a different impression and you carry that with you which just sucks not to mention it's interesting that the source or the origin of this information came from that particular individual mm-hmm. right very interesting yeah mm-hmm. but yeah i was I had a time where, so that started around like 15-ish. And then when I was graduated, actually, I was 18 at that point and it was still going on. And um, it kind of all brought itself up again at a church conference okay. where, and I had this idea already in my head of myself of like, yeah. I know they all think I'm a whore because like I show my stomach or like, yeah. God forbid my bra strap is showing. <laughs> oh my gosh. I'm an actual prostitute. We didn't prostitute. mention that. I don't know about that. Oh, so true. <laughs> I'm actually a prostitute. <laughs> actually belong on a street corner, apparently. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, things like my modesty or my attitude were really looked down upon because I grew up in the dance community and so I mean when you're in the arts I grew up in a completely different culture so like to me something like half an inch of stomach showing not even your belly button because of course the belly button would never be shown no yeah but that it just it meant nothing to me or like a full frontal hug right crazy so seductive of me traumatic flashbacks goodness yeah those those were um looked down upon yeah definitely and uh at this world conference my whole friend group ignored me all the guys and i didn't know why at first and then i found out at the end of the friend group fallout type of moment that um they all had a conversation and were like she's she's leading us into sin and do you know if that was was that just a conclusion they came to or do you would you know if that was told to them by somebody my guess is that they were taught kind of what to look for sure you know in a woman yeah and just i'm sure somebody was like read this passage in proverbs about the adulterous woman yeah you know and i'm sure that those kind of red flags that they were looking out for they thought they saw in me and then they probably brought to a leader then and then probably the leader then was like you're right that's wrong so i don't necessarily think it was like a it was all on their own nor do i think it was like a leader pointing them out to me and being like, be careful around her type thing. It was kind of yeah. a Makes little sense. bit of both, definitely. Yeah. But yeah, they were all convinced I was leading them into sin somehow. Yeah. There was no argument behind it. I had a conversation with a guy that wasn't actually in that smaller friend group that kind of had that whole talk with each other, but he was sort of on the outskirts a little bit, but he had heard that it had happened and he was like, I this is why. And we kind of talked about it. And he was like, yeah, it's because of these Instagram posts that you did, or this is how you dress, or this is how you Mm. talk. And I was like, okay. And at that point it had been like three, four years of this. So I had kind of given up. And you were accustomed to it. Exactly. And I had tried to kind of defend myself in the past. And either like somebody would make a comment and I would be like, "Mm, I don't, not true though because i've never like held hands with a boy right like did not have my first kiss until college type of thing or i would just shrug it off because i didn't want to deal with it and then this time i was just so destroyed by it that i was like you know what 
you have to be right. Like if, if it's been happening for years and it's been happening from my friend groups in multiple cities, because this friend group that made this decision was from all over Texas. Hmm. So it was like citywide yeah. <laughs> at this point. And I was like, okay, if all of these people in all these places think this about me, it must be true. And so that obviously destroyed kind of how I viewed myself. It became an absolute. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Right. So at that point, I kind of was just like, you know what? Maybe I'm just being prideful. Because that, that is something that I was told constantly. I mean, if we go back to like when I was baptized and I did um, the character studies. The character studies. The, the character studies before the baptism. Absolute, the, the, the most legitimate studies of the entire thing. Oh, of course. Yeah. Necessary to salvation. Which requ- require like like one scripture at the beginning mm-hmm. and the rest just taken from that about, oh, you're prideful. Or usually it's pride, honestly. It's That's pride. What pride, it is. arrogance. Patience, arrogance. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. 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 So my biggest thing was pride. And that was kind of told to me throughout all of high school from different leaders too, which was interesting, which is why I was so convinced that it was true is because I had yeah. like three or four different sets of teen leaders throughout high school because people kept moving and then COVID hit and things had to change. Right. So like I saw a lot of people and a lot of people knew me and I was moved into the teen ministry early because I was baptized in eighth grade. Right. So they pushed me in early. So I had heard that from every leader and I was like, okay, so they're right. So then in that moment, I was like, this is the pride. Like, mm. they are right. I just need to humble myself. Right. And so that's what I tried to do, which, by the way, my sister was sitting there, which, shout out to her. Love that woman for always wanting to protect me. She was sitting there listening to us talk, and she was like, no, like, you don't need to, like, shrink yeah. to, like, try and fit their standards right now. Like, you're not doing anything wrong. And I was like, no, I am doing something wrong. Clearly, I'm Everyone's affect- telling me. Exactly. I was right. like, everyone's telling me I'm doing something wrong. Clearly, I'm affecting them to the point where they don't even want to talk to me anymore. Like, they were ignoring me in the hallways type of deal. Right. And so I was like, I've got to change something. So I sat down with one of the guys and we went through my entire Instagram and deleted one photo. And this was like going through and kind of like which ones are a problem? Exactly. Yeah. Because he was like, I know that they said something about a photo of you on Instagram or like you and a guy on Instagram. And I was like, okay. I was like, all of them are on my Instagram too. dad. (laughs) Exactly. Yeah. So never just, okay. Yeah. Yeah. And so we tried to go through and I was like, what am I doing? Like, how is it that I'm speaking that's wrong? What am I wearing that's wrong? And how am I presenting myself? What parts of my lifestyle are wrong? Exactly. Because I was like, if I'm wanting to represent the image of God and you guys are telling me I'm not, how am I supposed to change that? Right. And he couldn't think of anything. Anything Mm -hmm. that he told me, I would ask one question and be like, but what about this? And he'd be like, Oh, never. Like, they just needed one voice of reason. Right. And this will come up probably later in the conversation as well, is the idea that's so prevalent, I think, in many of these healthy or unhealthy church ministries, especially younger ministries, but even for older people as well, is being taught black and white of the things that are right and the things that are wrong, Mm -hmm. some of which aren't accurate, but just depending on whatever church you're in, what they believe. Yeah. And then you're taught almost kind of like a, um, I was thinking about like a telemarketer. They have a binder of responses based on whatever the person on the phone call says. Mm -hmm. They have been trained to think and respond in very specific ways to very specific external things. Yeah. And taught to think in in very linear and, and very 
very much the same mindset as everybody else. Mm-hmm. So when someone doesn't fit the mold, regardless of whether it's unbiblical or not, exactly. Yeah. If it doesn't fit the church's mold of what they've deemed right and wrong, mm-hmm. then the response is, "Oh, that's bad." And wh- and then what you're saying is, when they come up and ask, and you ask them, you kind of confront that mm-hmm. that their reasoning doesn't go very deep because they don't really know. Yeah, and that can be harmful for a lot of reasons. Oh yeah, yeah. So they um had zero reasoning. <laughs> because of what you said it's that i just was deemed as threatening to right. them or their relationship with god or right. somehow what i was doing was threatening to their salvation right because to be fair like comparatively you were you're, you were looser than they were mm-hmm. in in the in the in the the mindsets mentalities practices that they were following yeah which is true but is it wrong no exactly. that's the biggest thing yeah so he was not able to tell me anything um, and he even at one point was like, I, I don't know what to say anymore. Like yeah. my whole argument has been debunked. And I was like, well, at least I'm glad I'm not actually in the wrong, but it still, I mean, it still affected me sure. after that. I, I hung out with most of them the next day and it was hard because it's just, you, you're aware of how they have seen you. And I mean, I'll see some of those guys now after they've apologized yeah. from other cities too. We'll come together for like a retreat. I was just at. And every time I see them, I still think that they still, like, see me that same way. Which I know they don't, but it changes your perception of yourself big time. And that was just a theme throughout all of high school was that I was this cautionary tale. I mean, I had had people call my mom. I had people call my mom. People your age or people older? Um, I had mothers. Mothers call my mother Uh, uh, to tell me that I need to delete a post- or their sons could no longer be friends with me Yeah. type of thing. So, I mean, with ideas like that floating around your head constantly, mm-hmm. it's, yeah, it's, it's a lot of... It takes a toll. Oh, yeah. And, it, and it, it slowly picks away deeper and deeper and deeper, right? Mm-hmm. Into your mind, into your heart, whatever. Yeah. And that's like, it's funny as a side note that this is a whole different conversation. <laughs> Say a son has a problem with Instagram post you have. It's funny how the first response is tell the person to delete the post. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff before that. Yeah that are on their side, that they have a problem with it. Like, it's not wrong if they have an issue with it for whatever reason in their mentality. Mm-hmm. But to then make you the person responsible for the problem they have when it's not your responsibility in that sense, sometimes it is, but not in this sense. You're skipping a lot of steps and making it all fall on the person who, obviously, it's not a problem for. Yeah, yeah. It's, there was just a lot of shame and... I mean, even things that, like, are just so legalistic, back to fitting the mold of right. just, like, if you don't invite enough people to church, yep. you are struggling. Um, if you aren't at enough events, you are weak. Yep. Or if you are asking too many questions, you, you have a bad heart, and right. somehow Satan's got a foothold, and that's why, like, you're viewing things as problems in mm. the church. A lot, of, a lot of things like this, which, you know, one could call that spiritual abuse yeah by definition yeah definitely which i mean that concept i didn't even understand until listening to your stuff and even i didn't understand it until i did the podcast i thought i had an idea of a little bit which is in my book and then the podcast made me realize how much more prevalent spiritual abuse was yeah in my experiences than i thought yeah i wrote one thing that i think it was from the I can't remember if it was a podcast or the chapter. Yeah. Um, it was episode nine of the podcast mm. where um, 
your guest said any attack on your personal identity is classified as abuse and it mm-hmm. becomes spiritual abuse when that attack is justified by an exception of a spiritual community that is directed by a higher power. Right. Specifically, that is most prevalent when they're attacking your identity and then obviously they're it's for the excuse of a higher power, but then they pull the whole love bombing. <laughs> right. They kind of even it out. They mm-hmm. try to. Yeah, yeah. And it's because truly it is out of love yeah. in their minds. It's just not the greatest image of love. It's what they've been taught expressing that love means in these scenarios. Yeah. Which- isn't so next question i have here is thinking about all these experiences we've started talking about this quite a bit already mm-hmm. how has the accumulation of all of those experiences both good and bad influenced and impacted your view and understanding of god and faith in yourself so many ways <laughs> um so first that i noticed only over summer is just that i'm extremely cynical now less so honestly i'd say in the last like month or two sure because i've been trying to change a lot of things but i just had so many doubts in high school because of everything that i went through and i was like there's just no way this is god's love like that this is not what's being represented so i had a lot of doubts um also about like discipleship and salvation and what you need to do to achieve that and stuff like that i had a lot of questions about but all of those unanswered doubts turned into cynicism. So anything I heard, it wasn't even that it like went in one ear and out the other when somebody was trying to teach me something. It's like it went in one ear and I was like actively shoving it out sure. aggressively. Because yeah. I was like, there's just no way. And I didn't even, like if somebody were to ask me what the definition of like cynicism was like a year ago, I probably couldn't answer it. Again, till I read your book so educational love that thank you for five that. stars on amazon no I'm kidding. oh 100 yeah and in chapter 17 You're quoting my book i'm quoting your book wow i am i am chapter 17 you said cynicism and doubt are not too far apart as unsatisfied doubt or doubt answered with wrong or hurtful solutions often results in a cynical disposition which was me i had a lot of unsatisfied doubts that i just was too afraid to deal with because of I I saw how it was when people left the church and right. how when people left it was you fell away yeah, no matter the circumstances they were gone and it was always due to something in your heart exactly you dealing it's your responsibility exactly. something you failed in right yeah and so I didn't I didn't want to be that person especially right. not in college because I did not want the cliche of right. like preacher's kid goes to college and goes crazy and just is and gone. leaves the church yeah and so I just had doubts that I just didn't want to face, yeah. which then turned me into a cynic <laughs> because yeah. of all the unsatisfied doubts. Which let, let alone the fact that so many, in my experience, but I'm sure in your experience too, so many of those doubts were intertwined with wounds mm-hmm. and hurt. Exactly. For different reasons. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And that, that doubt was paralyzing. Sure. 100%. And I read the book, Let's Talk About Doubt by Cap. Wordsworth. Shout out to Kat. Love her because she yeah. was also on here, which is uh-huh. why I read the book. Um, it's a fantastic book. Very, very good. Yeah. And she really changed my perception on a lot of things because I did not realize that so many of the thoughts that were going through my head when I was in a super deep depression this past winter, 
it was because I was so paralyzed by dogs. Like, not because, not solely. I understand there were a lot of uh, genetics. Sure. Not in my favor. Yeah. Um, high dosage of medication, also not in my favor. Sure. But the doubt was so paralyzing. And she wrote in her book that if you try to live a life where you can't even face your own thoughts, it breaks you. Hmm. And that was me. That encapsulates so many things. Just take away depression, mm-hmm. mental health, mm-hmm. church hurt, spiritual abuse. Yeah. In a church, so many churches that promote undoubted devotion. Oh my God. Yeah. That, I can't speak for people in that scenario unless they tell me they've experienced this, but I know mm-hmm. for 90% of those people, if not more, their external is complete devotion but they're crumbling inside because they can't they're afraid that if they turn around they have to be fo- all the time staring forward if they turn around and face the questions mm-hmm. they're going to crumble on the spot because they have no backing for this stuff yeah and they have questions which is human yeah and there's probably answers to a lot of those questions some of them there are, is not but they can probably find a lot of satisfying answers but they're afraid to do it because they're afraid that they won't exactly and that eats up inside whether they acknowledge it or aware of it or not mm-hmm and you can't, I mean, all those questions, like with me, there's a very high chance it's going to turn you into a cynic. And then right. like you cannot let go of that cynicism until you recognize all of the stuff right. that you're questioning. You can't just decide not to be cynical anymore because those questions are still exactly. not satisfied. Exactly. Yeah. So I had a lot of thoughts. Yeah. And it broke me. And yeah. I really did. And I was super paralyzed. I, I actually, when I got to college i went in like diving deep into faith stuff i really because of that situation that happened at that conference which was a month prior i was like i need to change my ways i want to do i want to do the things to be a good christian and how do i do that and so i like got back into like weekly bible studies and i was i was doing all this stuff because i wanted the answers yeah and it it almost made it worse hmm. because it just had so much of that spiritual abuse. As it, it was so weird to say it, like I hate. It sounds it. so extreme because in most of our culture, spiritual abuse hasn't been fully. We haven't been fully accustomed to it, so exactly. it is treated as an elevated thing, mm-hmm. where it's much more commonplace than we've been learned to treat it. Exactly, exactly. So sometimes in my mind, I have to not say spiritual abuse. I have to be like. When my identity was being attacked, right. which under a spiritual guy, right. yeah, that was even more paralyzing because I it switched really quickly too of me having such a good heart for God and you know wanting to get closer with Him, yeah, and then got into a relationship mm. in freshman year of which college, which made it all easier, of course, yeah, one hundred percent. So I. The focus of our weekly Bible studies changed from me trying to unpack the problems that I was having into just purity, which obviously brought up a lot of stuff from high school of somehow being seen as like impure. Right. So so to clarify, mm-hmm. well, first question, mm-hmm. which I already know the answer to, but for our listeners, was he a Christian, a disciple in our church, not in our church? He was not a Christian mm. in our church. He was mm-hmm. a Christian. Okay. Uh, mm. He was agnostic. <laughs> okay. he, he identified as agnostic. Yeah. Believed more in Christian beliefs, but 
was he grew up in the church and then left it in high school because he didn't agree with some of their political affiliations. And in a different church than... Yes, in a different church. So it might as well have been an atheist. Basically. Basically. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And what's interesting is that normally in our church, if you're trying to date somebody that's outside of it, like, first of all, big no-no. Yeah. Absolutely not, because they're not actually a disciple. Yeah. The forces are are definitely against you, even if people are claiming to want to help you. Mm Mm-hmm. What I, from my experience is usually they care about you, these leaders. Yeah. But usually when they say they're trying to help you, really they're trying to help you realize that it's not the right relationship for you. Yep. So they're not trying to help you nurture it. They're trying to help you kind of break it off in a way that doesn't, for whatever reason, usually. Exactly. And usually there's a lot more, I guess, shame put on the quote unquote non-disciple sure. than the disciple in this unholy relationship of crossing worlds yeah but it was kind of the opposite for me hmm. because of all of the questions I had and all the things that I was struggling with that he came to the church I invited him mm-hmm. um and he ended up loving it and it was great for him and he started studying the bible and as he was studying I was falling deeper and deeper into a depression so right. my stability was not anywhere near his right like in just in life but also in faith and so because i was seen as kind of more unstable faithfully um i was kind of seen as the problem that's so interesting right almost every scenario it's oh this relationship isn't going to work out because it's not equally yoked yeah he's not a disciple he's not a christian he's not from our church whatever Mm -hmm. that's usually always what it is it's such the easy Mm -hmm. the easy reason yeah but to invite someone to church, to our church the first time, mm-hmm. and he's fresh to our our faith, I say. Mm-hmm. And yet you're still the one as the, what's the word? The loose variable. I don't know. Just yeah. The, the one that's at risk, basically. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Yeah. And so it, that didn't start to come in until probably about like a month into him studying and to us dating and stuff. But once purity came into question or rather impurity or immorality. Right, it's never about purity. Of course. It's about impurity. Impurity, right. yes. Um, somehow it was a question of whether or not I was pulling him away from the church. Gosh, and also clarifying question. Mm-hmm. You talked about going into college. And this is for many people, I think, church kids especially, who've grown up in it. College usually is also just extra, not just being in church. It's the new leaf, right? Yeah. It's a chance to have a new start with many new people, mm-hmm. new ministry, new leadership, new social, whatever, and a chance to kind of leave in your experience, like the stigmas and labels. Mm-hmm. But were these all, were your leaders in the in the college ministry, were they new people to your, in your life? Yes. Okay. Yeah. I just met them so like two my, months before. So my question was all of this, for all this was now that all of a sudden you are again, the one being targeted for the purity talks Mm -hmm. and the one at risk. Was any of that detritus from high school or was it all newly acquired views from them about you since they were new people to your life? Yeah, it was all, it was all new. Oh my gosh. Yeah. So not even, oh, I heard this about you. Maybe maybe somebody somewhere, but it's, yeah, it's just just all new. It's again. Mm -hmm. And it's because I'm assuming because it's the same mold. Yeah. And it's the same things that you're not fitting in that mold. And Actually, they had um, a stricter mold than the mm. church that I was in high school yeah. in because of just the the location of 
the leaders before them because that that city was particularly conservative mm. and so their mold was even stricter yeah yeah that's wild to me mm-hmm. oh god yeah so it was again kind of just another situation where i felt like i was the problem and it definitely manifested aggressively throughout our relationship and then when the relationship ended it was because he had had so many conversations with people it's the that one, that one mistake of getting advice from a lot of people. A lot of people. Yes, I can't relate to that. You would at never all. relate. No. no, no, me neither. No. It's definitely like I didn't study with thirty women before getting baptized. Oh my gosh. Yeah, dude. yeah, yeah. So he got a lot of advice from people. Um, and and was he baptized at this point or no? No. Okay, but he still wasn't even Mm-mm. a baptized disciple in our church. That wasn't until after. Mm. And he was advised that now you were the one who had been born into it, basically. And have been around, for, even though it's a college ministry, you're newer to that ministry, but mm-hmm. you've been around forever and have been baptized since you were 13, which doesn't matter, but no. it should in, in this system, it does. Yes. But yet, regardless, you're the one pulling him away. Yeah. He's not even committed yet. No. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Very interesting dynamic. And it's a lot to wrap your head around because I had already created this foundational thought in my mind about myself this perception of right. being the problem and feeling like i would constantly hurt everyone around me and what's interesting is actually before i got into that relationship on like the first date i somehow already had this idea in my mind of like i i could hurt you really bad which mm. is weird because i had never technically done that before but in my yeah. mind i felt like i hurt that boy who i had an unhealthy relationship with when i was like 14 in my right. mind i had hurt him which wasn't your fault at all. No, no, yeah. but I just, I thought that I was going to drag him down. So I told him that on the first date. Wow. <laughs> Poor guy. <laughs> yeah. But I was like, I could break you. Yeah. Which, crazy that that's just how I saw myself already. Just by default. That's what yeah. you've been learning. Even though, I've had this experience too, even though your, mi- like, your mind, knowledge-wise, is telling yourself it's not true. Mm-hmm. But yet, you've been told it long enough and you've been kind of trying to fight that. Yeah long enough and it seems like almost like you're in an ocean and the water keeps going over your head trying to stay afloat but it's like the weight of it is pulling you back down so my heart believes it exactly you can't outthink what your heart believes Mm -hmm. right yeah and it hit especially hard because i mean he was my first love and so the fact that his um disciplers Mm. as if that's a real word we'll have a conversation (laughs) his his mentors we could say Mm -hmm. um thought things about me through the eyes of the man I loved, that is what hit completely different. Mm. So it's like, I know that he didn't actually think those things about me, but because we were never talked to together, mm-hmm. of course it was always individual conversations. Yeah. Um, it just, it hit a little bit harder. Yeah. And it hit into like a deeper emotional place that I didn't even know was possible. Yeah. Um, Cause I just hadn't experienced it before. Cause in a way you two are kind of being used as, I don't want to say pawns. That sounds really harsh, but you're being used as pieces in this to accomplish a goal of people higher up in ministry, really. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's, it becomes a thing between you two where, was there an interaction where he had to talk to you about this and tell you mm-hmm. that he, that he thought these things, even though he was the one, which I don't think he didn't think these things, but also they were ideas given to him. Yeah. Right. Yeah. We had a lot of conversations where we would both have times with our disciples and then we'd come together and be like, they're saying this, like, is, do you think that? And he'd be like, no, I don't think that. Do you think that? And it'd be like, no, I don't think that. So we right. like, we were always on the same page, but it hit a point 
where my depression was so bad, which, you know, obviously, if you are struggling that bad with mental health, your spiritual health is not going to somehow be perfect. Because if you hate the fact that you were created, you can't love the creator. You can't try and have a relationship with him if you don't even want to be there. And at that point, I didn't even want to be there because I just... I had no hope, which was the reason why we broke up is because I just was so ill. So I would never blame him for that because fair enough. Like you can only take so much, but it's true. I had zero hope for myself and my own mental health, not even counting faith, but then including faith on top of that. And that being such a huge part of my identity, like it was just, I was kind of just frozen for like four months. And that's kind of something that um again Kat talked about in her book a little bit where she said that the world is a terrifying place to be if you have no hope that there is more to life than it appears it's really true which is really yeah exactly and I to me what appeared in my life was that I was constantly hurting people around me I could not change no matter how many years I had tried to get closer with God or to have a better image of Christ that I was showing or the fire of my flame being warm enough for the people around me to feel that light that I was supposed to be. I'd never felt like I was that light. And so to me, there was no hope beyond that because I was convinced I could never change. And what a shame that what church could be and what faith could be Mm -hmm. is the thing that may not solve depression may not solve your mental health but it could be the thing to fall back to when your mind is is against you and your heart is against you and your identity and who you are is under attack because of that Mm -hmm. faith could be the thing and church could be the thing where by turning towards that stuff and leaning into that you're lifted up again and you're reaffirmed of who you are and you're reaffirmed of why and that can help Right. Yeah, definitely. And in a scenario like this, where that is just another 10 pound weight tied to your foot Mm -hmm. underwater. Right. Which is like, what are we doing? Yeah. What is if our goal as a community, as a church is to is not to give people faith that can help them stand up and is instead a detriment to that when when life gets hard. Mm -hmm. Then we're doing something wrong. Yeah. And now, I mean, I can say with confidence that growing closer with God has helped me with my mental health. Sure. Like, this is normally about the time where I start to, like, crumble. <laughs> it's November, you know? Yeah. It's, it's getting to that time. But yeah. because I'm no longer trying to push those doubts away and I'm recognizing the cynicism and I'm learning to work around it and how to ask the questions, like, I can fully say that having a closer relationship with God can help your mental health sure. tremendously. Yeah. Other factors obviously are really important, but it can help. But in that sense, it was, it was doing the opposite. Right. Okay. So that's a good transition into this next question I have for you, which is, would you be able to expand further and talk more about dealing with the doubts and questions that you now have about your faith, about yourself, about all that stuff in context with spiritual life mm-hmm. and how those doubts and questions were received and treated by your church ministry, your college ministry, the leaders, other people, maybe, et cetera. Yeah. So some of the 
the doubts that I had, actually, I did not get the confidence to even start thinking about them until it's really random that like this was a connection that I made in my brain recently, but it was I went to another church. Okay. I went to another church's event and same organization or different completely? Different organization. Okay. And it was the first time I heard the worship song called Make Room. And there's a line in that song um, that says, shake up the ground of all my tradition, break down the walls of all my religion. Your way is better. And I remember seeing that, like those words on the slide. And I was like, I was like, first of all, the song is a banger. Like we got to that (laughs) point and I was like, who sings that song? I don't even know. I don't know who it was. I don't know. I'm sure sure if it was, if it's searched up, just make room. Like it pops up. Yeah. Great one. But I remember seeing it and I was like, what do you mean? Like, mm. what do you mean? Break down the walls of all my religion. Yeah. Shake up the ground of my tradition. I was like, but the tradition is the religion is what's going to get me the relationship with God because I had those words of religion and relationship blurred. Right. Yeah. So mm. I couldn't even face any doubts until kind of that moment hit. And I was like, wait a second. Mm, I don't need this legalistic path to salvation right and my questions can be answered and i can go to him instead of to my leaders to ask these questions right because there was kind of this whole idea of like if you are really private with your life if you could be seen as deceitful and like Mm. you're hiding something you know if it wasn't all on the table exactly yeah exactly and so i heard that song and i was like that (laughs) <laughs> I I need that. I was like, I need yeah. to learn to make room for him, but I couldn't because I s- had this image of God in my mind that was now construed because to me, he had made all of these promises of protection and love and whatever, because yeah. for some reason you get in your mind, like you get baptized and your life is great. Right. You know, Which and I got true. baptized in my life. Absolutely true. It's a miracle worker too. Yeah. You're washed clean. You're, yeah. you're perfect perfectly perfect at least i was i don't know oh of course you were of course. yeah yeah that's why you have a perfect book too oh yeah it's awesome perfect book did you hear that there you go i'm gonna mark that and use it as a blurb on something <laughs> perfect perfect let's bring it back okay okay bring it back okay so that song right i was like okay i gotta make room for him yeah and to make room i gotta talk to him and i gotta i gotta ask these questions but i was too scared to because uh i thought he had broken my promises which was one of the main reasons that I actually started kind of getting more into weekly Bible studies when I first came into the college ministry was because I was like, things are going wrong. Like, I feel sure. like God is breaking these promises. And what was interesting that it's really hard for me to come to terms with because it takes a lot of humility and I just don't. And you're very prideful. Obviously. As we've learned. Yes. And I just, I I don't want to admit it. And this is something that I've learned in the recent weeks is that I was having such a hard time pinpointing exactly what promises he made that mm. he broke to me until I was talking with um, one of the ministry leaders um, from a different location and we were having a conversation about some stuff and she was being vulnerable about her life and her struggles and how one of her biggest things right now is learning to not get mad at God for breaking promises that he never made to you in the first place. And so that was one thing that kind of snapped me out of it a little bit. Of yeah. like, I can't just continue to blame God because did he actually make those promises to me? Right. Because God makes a lot of promises in the Bible. He says a lot of things, yeah. but most of the time it's to specific people in specific places at specific times. Yeah. 
and also sometimes the way we interpret based on sometimes what church you're in, what brand of faith you're in. Exactly. The way you interpret a certain promise, like we do certain scriptures, mm-hmm. ends up being way more specific and on this side of the equation than he actually meant it. Yeah. Yeah. That's helps. Just being like, okay, did God actually make those promises? Maybe not. But I also was like, he didn't make those promises to me. No. But there are a lot of questions that I have on my own or that say my friends who are atheists that have asked me that I have no idea how to answer. Right. So many. And my biggest ones were things like, why does an omniscient God feel the need to test his followers? Mm. If he knows if they're going to pass or fail, he knows everything. Right. Why would he test them? And that one, I slowly kind of tried to come to the terms of the fact that like he's testing so that you know your heart, not so that he knows your that's heart. That's what I was going to say. I'm, in, I'm inclined to think that too. Yes. And so I'm like, that's kind of more of an answer. But that still was something that was really hard because I felt like maybe all these things that I've been through were tests. Sure. But then I was angry because I was like, why would God test me? And then obviously I was recommended to read the book of Job, which I don't know if it helped or not. Mm. It helped in yeah. the sense of that At it that gained. At that point, it may not help. Yeah. And so like it, yeah. it gave me knowledge, which is good. But also the book made me angry because yeah. I was like, God is literally just trying to prove a point to Satan. Right. This is stupid. I was like, what is what is the point? So that nice. that's one of my big ones. Another one is just kind of the general idea of salvation because it was so specifically formed in our church of how to accomplish it yeah and how to keep it exactly (laughs) right that i just had and have a really hard time trying to figure out where we draw the line of who is excused from these things to gain salvation and who isn't like when you think of children who are killed in tragedies or you're thinking of the mentally disabled Right. And why do we, I think anybody on earth would assume, like, even if they're an atheist, someone's, if a kid dies, they're like, they're in a better place now, even right. if they don't really believe it. That's right. just kind of a general idea. Because you, you hope that exactly. that's true. Exactly. Right. And so in my mind, I think the same thing. But then I kind of came to this point where I was like, okay, so if children are excused and the mentally disabled are excused. Yeah. Then where do we draw that line? Like where is where this is whole that like line? yeah you're off yeah. the hook type of line off? And if you really need to be baptized underwater, getting back up right. in order to be saved, and these people weren't, yeah. then are they going to hell? Right, because according to my church, exactly the way I would hope it is going to work mm-hmm. doesn't seem to be exactly almost yeah yeah. And to me, I could not come to terms with the fact that God would send those people to hell right because god is supposed to be all good and whatever so i was like that's that's not true which kind of brought me into this kind of overall doubt which what's interesting is i actually never doubted god's existence yeah which i feel like is one of the main ones but i just never got to that point because i again kind of won the cosmic lottery and it was ingrained in my brain so long that there was no way i could remove him from my brain like interesting you could like convince me that you're not here before you could convince me that god's not not here here. (laughs) perfect that's awesome um (laughs) but yeah like i i never doubted that but i doubted that god was who the church was saying he was i doubted that he was all good and that he was all knowing that he was all powerful which i did not know people had put into a singular paradox yeah and then i learned what the epicurean paradox is and then i studied that out and 
now have kind of a stronger grasp on it. But that was another doubt is yeah. that God could be all good and all powerful and all knowing all at the same time. Right. And I just it's it's still really hard for me to believe because it's yeah. it's hard for me to see God's goodness in all things. But that's natural. Sure. Um, And the last one kind of, again, touches on him being all good. And it's on the topic of suicide in general. Mm. Is suicide a sin? If it is a sin, that's kind of the only sin that you couldn't be, like, you couldn't repent of. Because that's the end. Exactly. Huh. And so, trying to figure out, because, I mean, I, I've heard all the time that suicide is a sin. Yeah. But why? And I could not, and still can't, come mm. to the terms of the fact that God would put somebody on this earth knowing how they were going to leave it and knowing that right, they knowing would. that it was going to end mm-hmm. that way and still putting them on earth mm. why would he put them on earth to suffer to the point of wanting to escape it yeah. and then would damn them to hell to suffer for eternity right. for a life that he put them in in the first place yeah like that that's kind of the hardest concept for me to grasp because i know people who have committed suicide who have attempted yeah i know that I attempted suicide in February. Yeah. And I mean, even then, like, when I go back to that mindset, I was not afraid of hell. Sure. At all. But now that I'm stable. Sure. (laughs) I've thought about it a lot more and been like, I was in a really, really terrifyingly dark place. Yeah. And you've been in that mindset. Yeah. Close quarters. So you have that. You're not just some person thinking about, I wonder what happens when suicide doesn't make sense to me. It's like, no, I've been close to that. I have. yeah. Yeah. And it was, it's hard for me to think that if I would have succeeded then, that I would be in hell. Yeah. Like, it just, it doesn't, it doesn't make any sense. I mean, yeah. at all. So, yeah, those are right. I think those are all my main doubts. The suicide one is kind of the biggest one right now, though. Yeah. And that's a really big, not to get too far into this, because I think that's a whole, what you just talked about is a whole conversation in itself. but. A thought I had kind of about the first thing you said and the last thing you said was, well, the last thing first was you can't imagine if you had committed suicide going to hell. Um, my first thought was you wouldn't because back to what you first said about how it's interesting how suicide is the one sin you can't repent of. That would infer that we would need to repent of it to be forgiven of it, which we already have been. I'm talking right now about specifically about believers, people who have believed and accepted that Jesus died for them. Because in that mindset, right, that belief in what Jesus did saves us, allows us to take part in the salvation that he died for, forgiving us of all of our sins, past, present, future, which would include suicide. So yeah, it's true. Suicide is the one sin you couldn't repent of, but repentance would not be the factor necessary in order to be forgiven and thus be denied salvation but that that's a this can be a whole different episode a whole conversation about all this and i don't know all the answers to this but that was my first thought of in that direction of no we're already saved of it so if we're already saved of it if you commit suicide it wouldn't matter whether there's time to repent of it or not because our forgiveness of it doesn't depend on what we do anything we can do of it repentance right um, so we would be good. Now, suicide in of itself is a terrible thing. So that doesn't change. But 
in terms of how it affects our eternal salvation, which seems to be a lot of the doubt you're questioning, it wouldn't. At least for following this, you know, specific trek of belief and ideology. But yeah, really interesting questions. But I wanted to make sure I point that out because I think that is a really important distinction to make too. For anyone listening, because that's helpful to me. All right, so my next question for you is, now that you've explained some of your doubts, mm-hmm. how, once you expressed that you were going through this process, mm-hmm. how was it reacted and responded to by people in your college ministry, by your leaders, your peers, etc.? Not well. Not well. That's surprising. <laughs> yeah. So I, again, had lots of questions which i spent most of the summer working through on my own sure and um closer to the end of the summer i had a conversation with a leader who had kind of come to the assumption again they've apologized for this sure so we're all good now yeah. but again does not change the fact that it affected me yeah. um and that it happened uh they just assumed that because I hadn't been in contact because of rumors that they had heard about what I was doing that I had fallen away. Oh my God. Of course. When in reality, I was spending most of the summer, I mean, first of all, in Europe. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I was overseas. I was in a different time zone. Where God is most present. Of course. <laughs> like... Of course. Yeah. And I, I mean, I was in, I was in Paris and Portugal and then Spain for a study abroad. Yeah. Which in all of those places, I managed to start to love God again. Mm. And some was because obviously they're beautiful sure. places. Yeah, it's a little easier. <laughs> yeah, it's really hard to not see God's miracles yeah. when they're right in front of your face. You know? Yeah. So in that sense, like I I was out of the depression. It was summertime. I was starting to kind of um find my footing again and I had my 19th birthday which also seriously kind of set me off because I was like you know what I made it to this birthday when I didn't plan to yeah and it's because of God and so I'm gonna go home and I'm gonna work on this stuff and that's what I did and but the issue is that I I did it on my own yeah and I wasn't seeking help from them but it was almost like because it wasn't vetted through them it wasn't legitimate a little bit yeah you could say that yeah, so we had a talk, um, and immediately, actually, when she texted me, I assumed I was getting kicked out. <laughs> I don't know why. I think it's just because I I knew that I hadn't been in contact, and so I I knew the pattern sure. in kind of our culture of not including people in it and how that can you will be seen as weak. Yeah, because the mindset is, blatantly, is that the source of God is in our church, the source. Yeah, and that they have it right. Right, yeah. And and so if the source is in our church, then the further you are from our church, the further you are from the source, right? So being away from our church is looked at as not being legitimate. Because how can it be legitimate if you're receiving a weaker version of God than we are? Yes, yeah. And so that's kind of what I... I got from them um, and they told me that I couldn't call myself a disciple. Whatever. um, And that I, the best course of action 
somehow, um, was to remove me from membership in the church. This is your college ministry? Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, to remove me from membership in the church and to remove me from like the ministry group chat. Which is, might as well go straight to hell. Literally. Not sentence. in the group chat. I'm in hell. Dude. Mm-hmm. Oh my gosh. I have so much to say about this, but, uh, <laughs> I mean, what, what, uh, what was their reasoning to you? Like, what would they say? The reason he was, we kind of explained it, but, but what'd they sell you? So there were a couple. Um, one was that, um, she had heard that I was seeing a guy that was not a part of the church. And I mean, to that point, fair enough. I knew that when I was seeing that guy, it wasn't yeah, like, if those are your rules, then okay. Yes. And I also was like, I, I was no longer seeing that guy either at this yeah. point. She just heard that I had for like two weeks in yeah. the summer. Um, huh. and, but I had ended it because I knew that it wasn't benefiting my spiritual health and it so was you not by yourself made that came, decision yes, I made yeah. not because of the church repercussions because of your faith exactly yeah I knew that it wasn't bringing me closer to God so I was like yeah. you know what this is ending but so she had heard that I was talking to someone um I was not keeping up with her very much and I um posted a song on my Instagram story that was explicit wow so those were all things that kind of made her assume that I had fallen away i mean what a textbook example of promoting a works-based faith mm -hmm. that is judged solely from the external output behavior quota yeah and not at all from actually introspectively trying to see where someone actually is with their faith i had a friend who was in a similar place where he wasn't as um as communicative to his leaders, his disciplers. Mm -hmm. That's just, just kind of who he was. He was more standoffish and doing his own thing and wasn't as, as consistent of a communicator. And when he graduated high school, he moved states for his job. So he left our ministry and went to a different ministry under the same organization, but it's a different, a different city, different state ministry, the local ministry there. And, you know, in that between time of graduation and the end of, high school and all that kind of stuff he was not as present not as communicative you know whatever doing his own thing which a lot of people are yeah and he gets to brand new ministry brand new state walks in for the first time and realizes is told that apparently his old leader from his original church had called the new ministry to inform the leaders there that he had fallen away. Oh. And it was a surprise to him. He showed up and like, oh, I, I, I guess I fell away. I didn't know. And the leaders did this without ever talking to him, ever seeing where his faith was, ever actually having a, communi like a, a conversation to see if he actually desired it still, which he did. They just decided and assumed that, oh, he's not communicating. So he fell away, which is a huge, weighty term. Yeah. And this is all concluded solely off the fact that he wasn't as present at Sundays and Fridays and whatever else's groups. I don't know. Whatever. Yeah. Which is crazy. Very. And she never talked to you until now where she deemed you fell away. Yes. It was never to see where you were about it. No. And it was based on these, these things yeah. that equaled you fell away. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And honestly, if I had been in a different place in spring semester no. and I truly was not trying to get closer to god at all for like the last like year that she had known me it would make a lot more sense if i had not been like 
fully on suicide watch for two weeks, right? then it, I would have been a little bit more understanding. But see, even then, I, my mind goes to, at what point do we deem ourselves able to make the call mm-hmm. on whether someone is a disciple or not, faithful or not, whether they have the desire or not? whether they're a Christian or not, right? We, we don't have the authority to do that ever. Mm-hmm. So I, I, I get what you're saying too. I understand like it would be a more accurate judgment of you if you were in fact not desiring those things. But I would say either way, there's so many lines crossed and authority seized unrightfully in then just condemning you and saying, Oh, you've fallen away because of these things in in any circumstance, I think. But you weren't so understanding, were you? I was not understanding at all. Um, And I told her that and I asked why. Yeah. And I asked for scriptures to back it up. And I... It's good for you because, I mean, I, I mentioned this to you. Like, so many people, myself included, realize the things we would have said after the fact. We learn yeah. then what we believe about it. For this point, you were able to actually pretty effectively communicate the problems you were having yeah which is pretty cool um but didn't go well (laughs) it it, didn't go anywhere i would say yeah but no you're right i was lucky enough to have found your book oh thank you again before my downfall (laughs) i don't know if it's is it better that's before your downfall you got my book i don't know Mm, i don't know i don't know but i mean i i was lucky enough to one have my parents who actually because my parents like i said are preachers and they started their own church because they also had issues with Mm -hmm. some of the culture that they knew could never be reconciled didn't agree with yeah and so they made their own church so i already grew up with this kind of idea that like i i can question these things and my mom is very blunt and extremely (laughs) confrontational and god i love that woman for it because she taught me I need to ask these questions. And if they aren't showing me who God is, or at least who I'm thinking God is, then I need to call them out on it. Yeah. And so I had talked to my mom prior to the conversation. was like, what do I do if this happens? What do I do if what I think is going to happen happens? happens?" And she helped me through it. Love both of my parents for that. But yeah, I, I asked a lot of questions and I was like, okay, so the issue you're having here is that I am not showing the image of Christ. Right. How are you showing the image of Christ? Right. Because this is not showing God's love. Right. This is not showing his benevolence. You're casting me out. Exactly. And I was like, so I can't be in a group chat because I'm not showing right. the image of God. It just, it hurt a lot because, again, it felt like, I mean, they didn't even want me in a group chat. Yeah. Because I was a cautionary tale. Right. You were now a threat. Yes. For whatever reason. You didn't do anything against that. You just weren't no. doing what they deemed to be top notch in your own faith life, which they, they deemed just from external things they heard. Yeah. And now you're a threat. Yes. Which, I mean, at the very basis in a healthy system environment, all that should matter is if you desire. Exactly. God. And you can tell yeah. them, if you tell, like, if you say, no matter what happens, if you show up the next day and you go, I really desire this still. They should be like, great, open arms. Yeah. Take you. What do you want to know? Exactly. And what's interesting was they did come into the conversation 
and we did talk for a whole hour, hour and a half about yeah. my life and where I was at. And my biggest fear was that they were going to come in and kick me out without asking that. Sure. Yeah. But they asked all of these things and still removed me anyways. After realizing, no, her desire is there. Mm-hmm. She's, she's probably doing more. I don't know those people in your ministry, but she's probably doing more work in yeah. terms of her faith than many of the. No, I mean, are. they walked into the house and I was sitting at the island in the kitchen with a 11 page word document that had notes on your podcast your book cat's book who else's some other just questions a lot yeah exactly yeah so many things and they saw it all sitting there yeah like the word doc open like three or four different spiritual books along with my bible right but i still wasn't trying hard enough yeah you clearly care yeah, and I was still yeah. fighting for it. Gosh, man! I mean, just kicking somebody, kicking somebody out of church or youth or college or any level, kicking somebody out for anything less than killing somebody or selling drugs in the courtyard is crazy to me. Obviously, that's that's you know a generalization there. There's a lot of things that are considered worthy, I think, of kicking somebody out, but. That scale has to do with usually legal things. This is entirely based on a judgment of how badly you want it and thus how much you can prove to them that you want it. When all it should be is they shouldn't have any bearing on being able to judge if you've proven yourself to be faithful enough to want it enough to be able to stay. That's entirely up to you. All they can do as a leader is to take your word for it if you say you want to. Because if you don't want to be there, you don't have to be there. No one's forcing you, obviously. They're trying to force you out. So take your word for it if you say you don't want it. But also, if you say you want it, then you have no right to impose and say, actually, no, I don't think you do. It's crazy to me. Yeah, and I, and I did, I made that point at the end too, which by the way, like the conversation, I asked a million questions, right? Um, did not get a million answers. Sure. Did not really get any answers. Yeah. But by the end of it, they... They decided to not remove me from the group chat because they could not back that up at all. Fair enough. Yeah. And so I, I was, I stayed in it, but I was kind of like, look, I am staying in this church despite all of the things that have happened to me inside it, including yeah. things like the ex-boyfriend or the boy that assaulted me. And yeah. I was like, I'm still around these people pretty often and I'm fighting to stay in this ministry despite the fact that they are there and that I have such negative memories here. Right. Like, clearly, I care enough about my relationship with God to stay here. Despite the harm it's done to me. Exactly. I'm still, there's still things here, things that I desire, why I'm still trying. If I didn't care, I would just be gone. Exactly. Which happens all the time, which is understandable. People don't care. If, if, it's, if, if they're not reaping enough things that are valuable against the things that are harming them, they're gone. It makes mm-hmm. total sense. Yeah. You care enough to actually be there and doing work to work through mm-hmm. those things. And yet you're still, you're being forced out yep. despite your desire, mm-hmm. which is, and I mean, I'll say this too. I'm going to say this somewhere. I think this is a good place to say this too. It's very important to emphasize that in this scenario and in any scenario like this, like your leaders and the people doing this are not the problem. And that's why I think also why we're able to have a, such a blunt conversation about these people because, and 
if they're listening, it'd be great if they're listening. If they're not, if people, whatever. Like they, it's so important to know that and to say that they're, I don't view them, you don't view them as, them as the problem. No, not no. at all. I have never once been like, oh, this person thinks this of me and right. this is why I think this of them and they are at fault and they are the problem. Not at all. It's just the idea. It's just the culture. It's just how they've been trained. They're just as much victims of exactly. those mentalities as you are. Exactly. And I don't blame them. I still yeah. think of them very highly as individuals and as leaders. And when they perpetuate hurt, there's still responsibility to be taken. Yeah, exactly. Like the things you've experienced in context with them at their hands, right, under their jurisdiction is blatant, clear spiritual abuse. Yeah. And... I don't want that statement of that they're not the problem to undermine the fact that they definitely are a problem, yep. right? They are presenting you with a problem. They're damaging you. They're damaging other people with these mentalities that they are carrying out, right? They are the ones making these choices. However, the problem, I believe, is the root, right? These root mm -hmm. ideas and ideologies that they were just brought up in and trained in. Yes, they are carrying it out, and that responsibility falls on them when damage is done by them, but they are not the problem. No. And kind of how I confirm that for myself, if I truly believe are they the problem or a problem is, okay, if I removed them from the equation, would the problem be gone or would it still be there? And you remove that person, these leaders, the problem would still be there, right? You have to remove every leader from the equation because it's the shared, it's the ideas, it's the beliefs, it's the roots. It's those mentalities and practices and structures. Um, so I want to ask, so thinking about all of these experiences you've talked about with the doubt, the questions, with confrontation with leaders, with, mm -hmm. you know, spiritual abuse. Overall, what is the message or messages that you have been left with about yourself and God as a result of all of this? You've touched on like, several of the different aspects of this, but is there anything else you want to add to that? Yes. Yes. So, I mean, we can already tell that it, it really changed my perception of myself and yeah. formed it in such a negative way that I was convinced that I was the problem and yeah. that I was constantly hurting people um, and that I was too much for, it's like I was too much for God's people. Yeah. But at the same time, never enough for him, mm. which... This middle ground there, that's not a good place to be. Exactly. That's interesting. Too much for God's people, but not enough for God. Hmm. Really terrible place to be, yeah. I'll say that. And it's a lot, and it was it was heavy. Yeah. Because, I mean, it's by them saying that they think these things, they're saying God's thinking these things too. Right. Which, if you're saying God thinks of you in a negative way, that's a lot. And you touched on that did in I? your book. You did. I did? You did. You touched on it sort of in your book, and then you talked about it in one of your episodes. Okay. I don't remember which one. But you said, if we know God to be almighty and all-powerful mm -hmm. and the creator of everything, and we think that he looks at us with disdain, disappointment, and judgment, or like we're too much for him, then we must think we're terrible people yeah. <laughs> and that we're not worth anything. But if you flip it around, and the most powerful being... In all the universe, looks down on you and smiles and says that he's proud of you and tells us that we're never too much for him, then it all changes because then we have confidence and gratitude and not shame and fear. Yeah. Good stuff, man. I forgot I said that. I agree with that. <laughs> you agree with yourself. I mean, just I'm glad, I'm glad I wrote that because I do really agree with that. Like, because mm -hmm. I've had that experience. That's why I wrote it. It's, yeah, 
if God is God, and he is the person in charge of everything, who knows everything, who's in many ways the weightiest perspective. Yeah. If you're taking into account how anyone thinks of you, he has the most weight mm-hmm. and value. And in turn, harmful or healthy repercussions of that. Yeah. Yeah. Then it really matters how we think, how he sees us. Mm-hmm. And so many churches, so many churches give a false impression of how he sees us. Yeah. Yeah. And, and because that's everything. And they teach a lot of the time so heavily more on the fact that we don't deserve his love right. than on the fact that he loves us unconditionally. And in the times when even in places where they say, oh, he loves you so much, mm-hmm. it's because it's earned. Exactly. Through these things. Exactly. And it's just not true. Yeah. Yeah. So those thoughts and the fact that in my mind, that's how God thought were crazy. Yeah. <laughs> like in the most like unimpressive vocabulary word I could choose. <laughs> just crazy. Just wild. Just yeah. absolutely wild. Yeah. And it completely changed how I thought about myself. Actually, to the point where I um, was unofficially diagnosed with borderline personality disorder mm. because I didn't know who I was anymore. You because my reconcile. Exactly. My identity kept being made up for me. Right. And I just, I couldn't. And forced upon you. Exactly. And thankfully, the diagnosis has passed. But, I mean, the fact that it can have that much of an impact that it can create oh, yeah. a disorder mm-hmm. is crazy. And I think that happens more often than we, oh, yeah. many people who are experiencing oh, yeah. things, not just in church, but in our context, church and spiritual abuse stuff. Mm-hmm. And when you bring God into an equation like that, where he's such a weighty thing. Yeah. I think there's many disorders or mental things or mm-hmm. that are equated, at least in part to that, which we don't yeah. uh, fully understand and give credit for. Yeah. Which is, which sucks. (laughs) Oh yeah. But yeah, it affected me. It affected me a lot. And I had just kind of convinced myself of this idea, which actually, so I've been reading the book, Winning the War in Your Mind by Craig, a hard to pronounce last name. Sure. Probably not actually. If I hear it once, I'm sure I could do it again. (laughs) But I was just reading how he's talking about these circular ruts that you put yourself in Mm. or are put in, or if you think one thing once your brain kind of redesigns itself around that thought and then yeah. creates a neurological pathway. So anytime you think that thought, it gets easier every time you think it. it just falls right into that same Exactly. Track. And so I kind of had this neural pathway that I had created because thinking, if you think about it in more spiritual terms, it's something that I was, I've been told before and it's the idea of like Satan having a foothold. Like you do something once and Satan gets a foothold and that's why it's become easier again. I don't work very well with like spiritual metaphors like that. I am more of like a science kind of person. And so when I kind of look at it from a different perspective and more of a scientific perspective of you do think something and your brain does redesign itself and it does create this neural pathway to make it easier to think again. That's why it's, it's easier to do again, not just because Satan right. has a fold, which, yes, true. Spiritual warfare, real. Sure, yeah. But include the science in there, and it's a little bit easier for me to yeah, understand. Yeah, they're not mutually exclusive ideas. Exactly. And so I had convinced myself all of these years that I was too much for God. And that, honestly, just along with the idea of being too much, I kind of, because I was extremely mentally ill, and yeah. because my medication dosage was way too high, <laughs> it changed my thinking from not only being too much for God and his people being too much for the world. Yeah. And I had 
fully convince myself that I should not have been there in the first place. If I keep Mm. constantly hurting these people, if I keep pulling these people away from God, if this is always my fault, I should not have been here in the first place. And I didn't even realize that that was the neural pathway that I had created for myself until summertime, I think, when I actually went back and reread some of my journals that I wrote Mm. during those times, which is, it's crazy to read those journals because I just don't even remember writing most of it. Yeah. But I happened to one night decide to not to get too dark, reread my suicide letter. And I put these dots together in the recent weeks of that this was the neural pathway that I created for myself because of a line that I wrote actually in a section to my dad mm. where I was basically, I apologized to my own dad in the note. Yeah. And I said that I'm sorry that you wasted so much time preparing me for a life I was never meant to live. Wow. Crazy. And wow. it's hard to it's hard to hear that now and it's hard to read those yeah. letters and know that that's what I had fully convinced myself. And now I mean I'm I'm rewiring my brain and I'm trying to like understand that I'm that's none of that is true. Yeah. But it was that's how real it got. Yeah, so so that kind of brings me that kind of transitions well into this next question I have for you. And because you're talking about kind of looking at and ana- analyzing past versions of yourself with those mindsets and those mentalities, which are the same thing. <laughs> and what I want to ask you is, if you could say one thing to your younger self, and by younger self, I mean even further back, let's say, or I can ask you two parts of this. If you could say one thing to yourself before like maybe your 11-year-old self, before you started going through the things you went through, what would you say? And then also, what would you say to yourself a year ago? Mm. Okay. All the way back to before I experienced anything, I think I would say to not shrink yourself for anyone mm. or anything except for God. I don't know how else to elaborate on that, except for no, that's great. it's just... Yeah, don't don't shrink yourself. Don't let yeah. things like other people and their ideas of what's right and wrong get in the way of anything. Just leave yeah. leave room for God. And all God will do is He won't make you shrink. He'll make you exactly. Well, He wants you to key in more to yourself, and those things to be emphasized, right? Exactly. Rather than having to shut those things off. Yeah, just don't don't shrink yourself. That's great. And what would you say to yourself when, like, before college or during high school? I think just that. You're not going to hurt everyone around you. You're not a threat. You're not a threat. You're not too much for God. No. And you're not a cautionary tale. No. Either. This is the cautionary tale. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's really, really good. Uh, okay, I got three more questions for you here. What would you... We talked about what you, what you tell yourself. Now, what would you tell somebody else who has had similar experiences to you, either in the past or currently? and is struggling with the damaging beliefs and perceptions of themselves and or God as a result. Okay, so one thing that helped me that was kind of encouraging um, was just the idea of that, like, if everything around you feels like it's in shambles, but you're still standing and your faith is still standing, then it's authentic. And to not wow. invalidate that, yeah, you know, not to... Don't think that everything is in shambles because of you, but 
you are still standing because everything is in shambles. And yeah. so to hold on to that strength, because that's, I've completely looked over that. Can I say one thing on that? Absolutely. Is, like, no, you can't. <laughs> I heard this, maybe I heard this quote somewhere. Maybe I made it up. I'm going to say it wasn't my quote because I really like it. It's not, it probably wasn't me. Okay. But I, it stuck with me. And it was something along the lines of, the moment you know that your faith is truly authentic is the moment where everything has failed you except God. Because hmm. there's nothing else to put your faith in except him. And he's the one standing. nothing else is. Yeah. That's when you know, okay, my faith is, is real. Mm-hmm. You know? And if your faith wasn't real, then it's a chance for it to be. Because yeah. there's nothing else to turn to. Exactly. Which happens more often than I think we give credit for. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah. But what was the next part of that? I'm, so I have some ideas that are almost... Some are like that that are kind of encouraging to that person in these times. And others are kind of like, don't let yourself believe these things. So another one where I'm thinking that's on the same track of kind of more encouraging is that God doesn't react. Yep. And that was one of the biggest things I've had to try and convince myself of Mm -hmm. is that no matter what I do or don't do, he will not react. Nope. nothing he has for me will change. Right. Whether that be love or disappointment, it's not going to change. No, nope. it's a dependent. It's independent of anything we do. Yep. That was huge when I learned that, that God does not react. Because mm-hmm. to react implies that you were created around something else to react to. And he mm-hmm. is the center of it. Yeah. So he only acts and everything else is reaction to him. Yep. He's not surprised mm-hmm. and therefore not disappointed. Yeah. Or oppositely, he's never proud of us because we've earned it. He's just proud exactly. of us regardless because we create his creation. Yeah, there's nothing we can do well enough. It's it I mean, it's the funny thing is that it's brought up in the Bible so many times of like you're not judged by your good deeds, you're judged by what's in your heart. Yet right. somehow we constantly convince ourselves that our good deeds or lack thereof yep. is what's going to determine how God feels about me. Because it's a way to make us feel safe when we're doing the right things. Exactly. It's a way to keep tabs on, oh, who means it, right? Mm-hmm. And it's easier. I, I sympathize with that because it's easier. Um, that's so huge. That's monumental in changing that perspective and how you think and how you approach your faith. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I think that the other things I would say to kind of protect yourself a little bit more from further harm is one just being that like God's voice, creator's voice is never going to shame you. Yes. It'll call you out. Sure. Like In love. In love. Yes. Yep. It's never it's never going to shame you if all you get is condemnation and shame and yeah. love motivated by fear. Like, right. that's not God. That's so big. And it is God if what you're receiving more is, like, love or yeah. patience or gratitude. Just think the fruits of the Spirit. Right. If you're thinking fruits of the Spirit and that's what you're receiving, that's probably God. If you're seeing anything else... That's not him. Right. And to watch out for that both in internal conflicts and external with other people. So much shame is given to people through the vessel of something that God is saying or God desires or God is telling you. And if you hear something or are told something and it produces any kind of shame in you, I can say for a guaranteed fact, it's not from God. Not, oh, most of the time it's not. It's never from God. If you feel shame for what you've heard or a perception you're given, 
Mm-hmm. Never is. Exactly. The other idea is, it's one I gained from kind of, well, first of all, it's sort of just a, a common piece of advice is to don't take it personally. But the more complex explanation of that is kind of an idea I've formulated through multiple books. Some by yours, some by, let's talk about doubt, some by Faith Unraveled, some by um, even secular books like As a Man Thinketh by James Allen, one of my favorite books ever. And he kind of touches on this idea also of like, don't take it personally. Now, if you think about it more spiritually and um, more so to my circumstances, it's just to not let people be concerned by the what if they have no interest or curiosity in the why. And that is something you have said in your book, I don't know if you said it in those words, but that was a general Let's idea. Just say I did. Yeah, perfect. No, those are your think, words. <laughs> I, don't think, I don't think I did that to that degree, but I implied that. Sure. Yeah, yeah, and just like if they, if they're coming to you and they're asking what you're doing, and telling you that it's wrong, just to not let them condemn you, right? Without taking the time the intentional time to understand what it is you're going through and where your heart is about it exactly so that goes that goes for in church out of church oh yeah anywhere again it's kind of just a common piece of advice of don't take it personally unless there's a reason to take it personally but i'm just more complex is to just don't don't let people be concerned by the what if they're not concerned by the why yeah your job is to know where your heart is Mm -hmm. and to have a grasp of yourself and be confident in yourself and know what you believe, what you don't, where your heart is. Therefore, and then the stronger you are in that, the more, I don't know, protection you have against people trying to tell you, talk you out of it or tell you you're not or tell you things that you just don't believe. Yeah. That's huge. Really, really good. Two more questions. The next question is a lot of questions about what we would say to this person, this person, this person. Mm -hmm. Is there anything you would like to say to any churches, either both our church organization or any others that may fall into the same patterns and mindsets. Anything you would say to those churches that cater to those similar harmful ideas and practices that damage their members' views of who they are and who God is? Yeah. Leave room stop for it. God. Sorry. <laughs> Perfect. <laughs> yeah, just, just stop. Just stop. Just stop. Stop it now. <laughs> yeah, I think just to leave room for God. Yes. Leave room for the Holy Spirit. That I mean, you talked about that. Your dad talks about it a lot. Just the yeah. Holy Spirit. Leave room because I think that churches are arrogant. Yeah. And they will try something once and it works and they'll stick to it and they won't change it. Right. And then eventually, once you cling to that thing for so long and you are disregarding the external circumstances around you that are actively right. changing... It's, it's just no longer valid or applicable to somebody's life. And that so, becomes the thing you put your faith in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And so at that point, you've completely removed God from the equation. Or if you think you still have it, it's just because you've kind of manipulated right. the idea of God to fit that mold that you now have. And you've just, you've left no room for him. And you've right. left no room for the Holy Spirit to work. Yeah. So get out of the way, really. Basically, yeah. Like step aside, not in a bad way. Just step aside yeah. so you can be led and not be forced to feel like you have to lead everything. Yeah. Or more practically, just be open-minded. Yeah. Listen. Listen to the people you're talking to. Listen to scripture. Yeah. And figure out what scripture means to you. Exactly. Don't be told what to think about it. Because mm-hmm. sometimes it's right, but oftentimes it's not. Yeah. So it's personal. Yeah. 
yeah, huge. Really, really good. And the last question, a question I ask every guest on this podcast. This podcast and my book are all about our crumpled papers, which are the ideas or beliefs that we may have at one point believed with full certainty, but at some point realized we needed to reevaluate our perspective on. My question to you is, what is one or a few of the biggest or most important crumpled papers of your own that you've had to unlearn or gain a new understanding of? I think it's kind of just one. Underneath it, there's sub-crumpled papers. Sub-crumpled papers. That's my next book. <laughs> but the main one is just that you're not the problem. Yes. Within that is things like you're not alone or this isn't the only way God sees you. Uh, within that could be things like God is bigger than mm. this. So much falls under that. Yeah, exactly. Mm. But I think... The general consensus is that you're not the problem. And I mean, how I got there a lot had to do with just learning things like God's forgiveness and his love is bigger than just our church. Huge. Yeah. <laughs> Which is huge. But by learning that, I could see things not in such a black and white sense of right and wrong or a good relationship with God and a bad relationship with God right. or a good heart or a bad heart, but just that there's more to it and that you're not the problem. Yeah. You're not the problem. That goes for members. That goes for leaders. That mm -hmm. goes for people doing the right thing, people doing the wrong thing. Yep. You're not the problem. Yep. So good. Bella, this has been a fantastic conversation. Thank you for coming on and boosting my ego with, with <laughs> quoting my book. I love that. You're welcome. That's, my pleasure. That may have been why I brought you on. I'm not quite sure. Perfect. <laughs> Bella, this mm -hmm. has been a great conversation. Thank yes. you for coming on. Of course. Um, it was a good time. Good time. time. It's going to help a lot of people. It's going to be very, very resonant, I feel. Good. I hope so. Guys, that is it for this episode. Thank you for listening. Thank you again to Bella for joining us. This is a great conversation. I only mention this every few episodes or so, but if you guys enjoyed the episode, enjoyed the conversation, and wouldn't mind taking a minute to rate and or review the podcast on Spotify, Apple. Apple has ratings and reviews. Spotify just has star ratings. Other platforms may have some kind of, I don't know how other platforms, platforms work. But if you guys wouldn't mind taking the time to do that, it's really appreciated. The number of ratings and reviews shown on the podcast page on those different apps and websites is the only public information that gives any kind of idea of the number of people listening. So the more ratings we get, the more reviews we get, the more listeners we're able to attract who could benefit from the conversations, as well as certain guests that we're able to lock in to have on the show. So it'd be greatly appreciated if you take a minute to do that. Thank you in advance. I will see you guys next week for episode four of season two. Till then, peace out. Thanks for hanging with us on this episode of the Crumpled Papers podcast. The episode may be over, but the conversation's just getting started. If you have any questions or comments, or just want to say hi, send us an email at crumpledpaperspodcast at gmail.com. We'd love to hear from you. And make sure to follow us on social media to stay up to date with all things Crumpled Papers. All links are in the description. This is Austin, and I'll see you next time on the Crumpled Papers Podcast.